you know what? I don't want to be as good as you. I want to be far better than you. I want to fucking eclipse you, man. You know, the venom is real. <laughs> oh my God. You are talking to a double whammy, right? A female and an Asian in the white boys club. My dyslexia is my secret weapon and yeah. I use it every day. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox. Two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome. With a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. My book was terrible. I, I mean, I showed him my poetry. I want to die. I want, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, you showed Graham Morse of your poetry. Only wanted blue, red, white and blue M&Ms. You know the type. Yeah. Michael, are you there? <laughs> there he is. There he is. Vicky. There he is. How are you going? Very well, darling. How are you? Very good. Good to see you. Sorry for the false start on this. We've been uh, desperate to talk to you. Hope you haven't oh. spent that in, in our emails and my stalking texts. <laughs> You're almost creepy stalking. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, he's working on his creeping. He's getting there. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now the therapy's paying off. Yeah. Yeah, the restraining orders, they help too. They get a bit <laughs> serious when you read the fine print. <laughs> That's why you had to move back to Australia, isn't it? That's right, in a hurry. You may have noticed Deportation that. Deportation <laughs> more friendly. Hey, um, should we start? Haven't we started should already? We? Oh, okay, good. I was Because I was going to say, welcome back to Graham and Michael meet their advertising crushes. And today we're talking to Chief Creative Officer of Avast London, Vicky, I'm going to have a stabby middle name, Margaret Maguire. <laughs> Weirdly, middle name Mariah, as in they call the wind Mariah from Paint Wagon. <laughs> I would never have gone there. I was trying to piece together all these other things, but it's a new thing we're going to do. We're going to have to take a stab at, uh, I guess, middle names. I was reading about you and you are the first female, you were the first female president of Creative Circle and that video that was put out for that, very, very strong and kind of sticks. We will never be like them. We will never conform. We will never roll over and have our bellies tickled by the global giants, even if they throw shiny awards for us to chase. You were 2020 and I think you still are, Campaign Magazine's Creative Person of the Year. Mm-hmm. So there's all these things that you are, but there's all these things that you aren't as well that you're equally proud of, that you don't have O-levels in English even though that you are a copywriter or a writer. Mm-hmm. You didn't go to ad school and you're not stale, male or pale. But I've been noticing lately, Vicky, in, in some things that I've seen you in and conversations you've been having that you talk a lot about the power of belonging and I... Yeah. I feel like you found your voice and you talk about being with your crew, the importance of that and how it's important to you to bring out the best in people. And I think you found a real freedom in that. So I just wanted to ask, does Vicky Maguire finally belong? Do you know what? I think I am comfortable. So do do I belong or am I comfortable now with not belonging? Right? I have always, always felt like an outsider. Yeah, I was an outsider at school. I wasn't academic. 
I was an outsider as a teenager because I liked music that my peers didn't like. I was an outsider when I went to fashion college and when I got a degree because everybody that worked in fashion at that time was kind of, you know, if I wanted to go and work at Vogue, there were, you know, Lucinda's and Jacinda's and all of these people that were like ridiculously well connected. And I was a bricklayer's daughter from Leicester, which is kind of like middle England city, famous for Gary Lineker and fuck all else. And then when I got into advertising, you know, being, not being from out of school, not having, you know, relatives in the business, not having a pad in London that I could kind of like, you know, retreat to, having no money, I was an outsider. Did that make you work harder to prove that you need, that, that you deserve to be there? Always. But I did that in fashion as well. What I found, and I got this when I was, when, you know, growing up, growing up in a, in a city, a, you know, a small city in the middle of kind of, in the middle of England, the interesting people are on the outside, right? When you go to a party, right, the most interesting conversations are in the corners, yeah? And you desperately, desperately look to belong. And I was never interested in belonging to the, to the kids that were out looking like Millie Vanilli or whatever the fuck, right? I was, at the time, I was a little punk and ended up sitting next to the guy who was into heavy rock and then opposite the table, to, you know, to the guy that was a mod. And we were a band of outsiders. We were a crew. And I found that crew in fashion. I remember sitting in meetings or kind of going to places that were like, you know, so posh they didn't have a number on the door or, you know, or bumping into these people in kind of lifts who, you know, you held on high. But then also kind of like finding alternative clubs and hanging out with people like Lee McQueen, who, you know, Alexander McQueen, he was from exactly the same kind of background that I was, a working class but was making everything work for, for him. And you find those pockets and you find those crew. And then, I mean, I was shit at fashion and I was getting sacked from all, everybody. But there was a, there's a designer called Paul Smith. Again, working class boy from Nottingham in a very posh industry uh, who basically told me to stop trying to draw and write my ideas down instead. Gave me a bit of a, t a talent, if you like, and I'll use the word talent because I own it, um, to hear how people are speaking to each other, yeah, and hear how to break through those conversations. And were you always I aware can... of that? Were you always aware that where you were, you were, you were soaking this in, you were, you know? No, no. Just not it. it was only when somebody started to put a value on the stuff that I was doing naturally looking how people talked, you know, the language that they use, the words that they use, the mannerisms, how they spoke to each other, how you could tell a story, how you could do all of this stuff. And it was only when I realised that not everybody does that. That's when I got, and that's when I got into, well, really Paul Smith, but also when I got into advertising. Because so like, often, it sounds like you've gone, gone from the outside in, because we've all sat in brainstorms where we're desperately trying to go from the inside out. It's just like, how, yeah. how can this be edgier? How can it be cooler? Because most of the people in the room aren't that. 
Mm. And actually, that's kind of your niche. And speak, speaking of like being out of place, I mean, you've totally embraced the whole insider thing and you've made it work, which is, I guess, a big part of how you've dealt with that sort of imposter syndrome is actually, yeah, I'm out of place. And that's a fucking good thing because that makes me different from everyone else. It gives me a different point of view. And being out of place, you also had a sweet shop, didn't you, for a little while? I did. I did. I freelanced for ages. You know, I got into advertising literally again by finding people that were on the outside doing their thing unashamedly people like Sir Trevor Robinson um who runs uh, a company called uh uh what is it I think it's not was it perfect quiet, quiet storm, storm. Is it? quiet storm right the man is a fucking legend he was working at an agency called How Henry at the time who were like yeah, the nineties. Yeah. I mean, they're amazing. Tango and all this kind of stuff. You know, he was black. He'd got dreadlocks, and literally, I was like, "How do I get into advertising?" And he's like, "You know, it's going to be a bit of a fight." He said, "But if I can do it, anybody can do it." And I was like, "Okay, that's cool." Um, but imposter syndrome is interesting, isn't it? Because I made peace very early on as a creative that I will never be truly comfortable with anything that I do we're not as creatives we need to get that slight knot every time we're on a pitch or every time we get a blank sheet of paper because that's where the magic happens right if you walk into a room or you or you pick up a brief and already you think oh I know the answer to blah, 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 then you're not doing yourself a dis- you know you're doing yourself a disservice I'm comfortable with that uncomfortability how did you Do get there, though? Um, practice, but also being able to detect that the majority of people, regardless of the level that they were at, were all feeling the same thing to a different degree. And that was only when I landed at places like Wyden, who have a very open culture, where creatives have to get their ideas out onto the table and other creatives are so generous with their time and their talent that they make other people's ideas better. Mm. And so when you listen to some of your heroes put an idea on the table and you go, fuck me, that's shit, (laughs) right? But then a couple of other people make it better. And then you're like, that is the way. That is the way I see, you know, I see it, you know, the big names, the guys that you were looking up to still have the same kind of like thought process you have to go through, the brain bleeding thought process that you need to go through to make ideas work. And then there was a thing, right? And I don't know whether it's my background or the fact that I'm a woman. And I've, I have this conversations with kind of like with various kind of, you know, with the girls in my, in my department. I'm a really good, I mean, I think it's because we've been hit on from an early age, right? And we've heard every fucking line. We can smell bullshit, <laughs> right? And I've walked in, in, even when I was a junior, I could sit in a room and go, mate, you don't know what the fuck you're on about. You're a chancer. You're a charlatan. You're putting it on. You're hiding behind that suit. And just because you smell a creed, doesn't make you doesn't make your your opinions you know more valid and that was amazing because when I realized that by you know to a to a lesser or greater degree 
this industry is made up of chances. And I think what did Neil's called it, you know, con men, chances, yeah. con men, and fake it till you make it, and and all of that stuff. So once I realised, I was like, I may, I deserve a place at that table. My name is Vinnie Jones, and I'm going to teach you a lesson you'll never forget. There are times in life when being tough comes in handy. Say some geezer collapses in front of you. What do you do? We need a volunteer that ain't breathing. Here's one I made earlier. You are a leader, you know, a true leader in every sense of the word, and you, you can command a room. I even saw you recently command an empty room in tuning in, which must have been quite, <laughs> quite um, difficult. Are you naturally comfortable in that role? Or do you push through the uncomfortable side of that and that actually makes you better at it? I, well, there's a, I push through the uncomfortability of it. I, I have learned to recognise my value, both monetary and what I can add. I've also, I listen, which I found is quite rare apparently, but I've also... Learned from the worst. And what have you, you learned from the worst? I've learned how not to treat people, how not to disrespect clients per se, how not to divide and conquer, how not to build a themonous culture, how not to. I mean, I've, I've learned. Any, any, any names you want to put? <laughs> I'm going to wait till they are dead. Okay. <laughs> and then Which the book could happen coming sooner out. than you think. This is so true. This is so true. But there are, there, you know, I've learnt shitloads from literally listening and observing and, and being treated, you know, and then you're like, okay, I totally get that. I will never do that. I will never say that. I will never treat them like that. I will never be sitting in the Ivy talking about the good old days while five junior teams are queuing around my office and I will never have an office waiting for me to come back and go, I remember an ad like that in 1978. Fuck that. I've also learned and, and benefited from the openness and generosity of some of the best creatives and then just been blown away by how their energy and their enthusiasm for a client or for an idea or for something that was going to kind of like break in culture or something that was never even going to happen. But my God, they took it all, you know, all the way. And again, you know, I learned, I learn every day from people like that, but I have learned more from the, from the ourselves in the industry. And it's hard not, I mean, it's hard not to become part of that toxic system because it is everywhere, isn't it? I mean, there's times... It's not hard at all. We've all got a mor- no, fuck it. We've all got a moral compass. You know, we roll up and we look at the people that are under us and leaders, leader is an action, it's not a title, right? And you walk in and you must go, how am I going to get the best out of this crew today? How am I going to want them to come into work tomorrow? 
Yeah, how am I going to make that girl who's not director, but fuck me, her writing is incredible. How am I going to make her feel confident enough to share what she's just written in a room? What advice do you give to those? Because, you know, you mentioned confidence before. So much of this is about confidence, but you sort of earn it and you learn it. And it's tough, especially at the beginning. What kind of advice do you give to the newbies when you see that? I sit next to them in a room and just go, go on, go on, read that, read that. It's fucking brilliant, right? And when everybody knows that it's brilliant before they've even started, there's a swagger, right? And that's great. And then somebody will say, yeah, but you know that line? Wouldn't it be good if you said that? And then somebody's like, God, you know what? I was listening to a piece of music a a few weeks ago. And you know what? What about that? And that is why I've got a strict no asshole hiring policy. Everybody has to contribute. I don't care who champagne or drink, as long as we're all drinking. So, so I don't do single reviews. I don't do these little ideas around the back. I love it when people nick briefs. Um, yeah. But we're in it. We are in it together. And it is my job to find out what the individual talent is and put stuff around it, whether or not. And I've, and I've said this before. If they're an introvert. I'll find them a little corner. Yeah, if they're an extrovert, I'll put them on stage. I will find the best ways that I can bring your brilliance. Yes, on that, because that's an interesting thing. We've gone through however long, 20 months worth of on and off being with our people, and it's exposed like a a vulnerability in in people and in in the industry as a whole like nothing else. But it's also, and you've pointed this out, brought out an authenticity that we haven't seen either. Do you think that authenticity, and I'm talking about the work that's being produced even, is authenticity the new CGI, is is being real and being able to articulate a realness, the, the power now? I think it was always there. I think COVID helped. I found COVID so hard. I found lockdown so hard. My partner was shielding. He's had a kidney and pancreas transplant. So, you know, in a shitty flat in in trendy East London, which is amazing when everybody's out, but when you're stuck in it with no garden, you're like, mate, this is driving me mad. But then you look to the positives, don't you? And, you know, I remember I was talking to clients and their kids would barge in or their cat would walk across the screen. What is it with cats wanting to show their asses to the world on, on Zoom? It's ridiculous, you know. Somebody, I was doing like a two-hour pitch and then somebody at the end told me that they could see my knickers drying on the radiator behind me. There was an artifice that had to be stripped. That's the theatre. That's that's the theatre. I should have done that on purpose. Theatre. There was an idea. like giant black bunting behind me as I presented. I was like, Jesus Christ. So there was an artifice that got stripped away, which is amazing. And I want to hold on to that. Yeah, as, and, you know, now we're coming back and we're getting together. But, but you know, we haven't, everybody's talking now about flexible working, but COVID was not flexible working. It was enforced working from home. Yeah. What I can't have happen, all of those people that have got a lot of room, all of those people that have got home offices and have got great Wi-Fi, have flourished while they're at home. But we have a generation of kids coming up 
you know, our placements, our young'uns, and you know what it's like. You know, yeah. you're all you're sharing a flat, you're sharing a house with six people. You've bought the cheapest Wi-Fi. Yeah, you're working in your room because everybody else is trying to do their work in their rooms. We can't swap the kind of like the entitlement pre-COVID and make the only people that are going to succeed are those with a home office at the bottom of the garden and decent Wi-Fi. So we need to work on this flexible working and make sure as well that those in positions of leadership or influence have got enough time and are in the office or wherever they want to work, but they are giving something back to the people below. Because we learned from osmosis. Remember when we were juniors and just even hanging around the desks or the bookshelves or the whatever of those above us, we we learned a lot. And it's stuff that you can't learn, isn't it? That's why placements are so important. And if a placement is in, in an empty office, because I happen to have a nice office at home and don't fancy coming in on a Wednesday, I'm doing that kid a disservice and I'm doing the industry a disservice. A jar of marmalade. Thank you, Santa. Santa? The coming. Oh, no, no. Santa! Oh, I'm ever so sorry. I'm not Santa. Oh, this is for Alice. I know her. Let me help you. Follow me. Hey, they're mine. She'll love it. Oh, and here's one from Gran and one from Grandad. We've got loads more to deliver. This goes in here. Put that under there. Let's take your sleigh. Sleigh? Giddy up. This Christmas, let's spend it well. And Vicky, something strange happened the other day, and, and this is this is totally off script, Graham. I apologise because he. Oh, I like it when you do that. Dudes. This is when when you just said when we were juniors. I did this thing yesterday, and and I, it requires me to pull out an award annual from <gasps> um, from two thousand. Right? I was I was doing. We we're talking to Sarah Barclay, and I showed her this Yellow Pages campaign. And, and I noticed on the page that follows, just, just for the hell of it, this um, oh black God. taxi. That's hilarious. I remember that. Yeah. You're listed as the art director. Was that when they really did realise that you couldn't actually write? Yes, But, yeah, seriously. I saw your name. There you are. That's so <laughs> funny. What happened to putting big extrusions on, on outdoor? I know. Oh, my God. What was it called then? Was that called... Was it ambient gorilla or stunts? I can't well, remember well, what we used well, to call the, it in those days. In the annual press and poster, we're at the same category. Oh, press and poster. Oh, there you go. It's been great, Vicky. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Thank you very much. Really good. Thanks, Vicky. Really Pleasure. good. Pleasure. Pleasure. Anytime. I'd love this. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and soundhouse in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. 
If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in the Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.